So we are here with Vinny Feeney from NYOB. Vinny, thanks for joining us today. No problem, Steve. Thank you for having me. We have uh, a few weeks before UX Australia comes up this year, but we find ourselves more broadly in pretty interesting times. How are things at NYOB at the moment? Um, yeah, things are good, I guess. Um, I say good, it doesn't feel like the right word to use at the minute. Mm. Um, in terms of the adjustment to working remotely, I think it's been something that we've, we've handled pretty well. Um, I think that we're lucky, the kind of company that we are, that um, we're kind of set up to, you know, take our equipment home and everyone's kind of had an experience working maybe one day or two days a week from home before. But um, I think it's a very different context when you go to everybody remote all the time and then you add in that there's a global pandemic going on and the effect that that has on people's mental health as well. Yeah. So I think, um, I think we're certainly coping with it. Um, and I think we're getting through it. Um, but I, I, do, I don't think that um, it's an ideal situation. That's, that's for sure. No, not by a long stretch. How have you found your relationship with um, senior management? We've seen elsewhere that that's um, can be a harder adjustment for people to make, um, particularly in the executive ranks. Um, but also how that then filters through to the rest of the organization. Yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting one for us because we've actually underwent a lot of change in the last kind of six to 12 months. Okay. So we were previously a um, publicly listed company. We're not privately owned. We've had a change of CEO, which has also then led to a restructure and a change <laughs> in the way that we work. So when you try to go through all that in a normal circumstance, it's already it's hard anyway. It's already a lot of change. Um, so that, that's certainly been really interesting. Um, I guess it's kind of thrown up this interesting situation too, though, where I guess everyone's encouraged to be working more remotely. And even in terms of the executive level, like there's been a lot of kind of outwards communications to the rest of the company, certainly mm -hmm. by, by video. We've gotten, um, it's funny, like using Microsoft Teams is a tool that if you had told me about a year ago, I wouldn't have been too excited about. But it's been unbelievable the rapid pace with which they're releasing new features and kind of improving that. Experience yeah, okay. Well. Um, so that kind of combined with Zoom and what, whatever it is we're using, I feel like it's been a, I actually feel like we've been getting a lot of communication that perhaps even in the office, you don't necessarily see these people day to day. And mm. um, so it's been kind of interesting that um, it's almost, uh, it's a, almost something that we've seen in a positive sense that there has yep. been a lot of communication from, from that level, I guess, about what's going on. Yeah, that's great. And how has that, I mean, trying to deal with the restructure, as you say, at the best of times is difficult. It's uncertain at the best of times. Uh, it's disruptive at the best of times. Yeah. Um, I, I, I almost wonder whether, because stuff is up in the air anyway, um, whether that might have made it in some ways a little bit easier. So it's like, oh, everything's, everything's up in the air anyway, so why not restructure my job? Why not? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I definitely think, um, so we'd started to undergo some of these changes before everything hit. Um, but it really was kind of the last two months whenever things like the really biggest changes did take place. And I guess having went through kind of March and April and adjusted a little bit to the, to the working from home and, and the remoteness of everything, mm. I feel like that definitely, that helped. So it wasn't like as soon as we were kind of working remote that we went, let's restructure today kind of thing, because that would have been a real challenge. Um, and I think one of the things that I found as well is, 
it's almost, I almost find it like you miss those interactions in the office where you walk past somebody and, you know, just have a quick five minutes chat. Yeah. Um, but I find like having to book all these meetings with people and be a little bit more formal about, about having their time. I actually think it's made it much easier to grab a hold of people that maybe in the past I wouldn't have booked a meeting with or grabbed a hold okay. of. Yep. Just because I, because I know, well, this is the only way I can talk to that person. So I'm actually going to go out of my way and kind of book some time in their calendars and per, perhaps have a conversation that in the office I might have avoided or maybe just had a quick five minute chat in the office. Whereas now we actually get to sit one on one and have a 30, 45 minute chat. Yeah. So I think in some ways the, um, it, it's changed my behavior slightly in the way that I would interact with different, different people. So I guess that that has, I've seen that as a positive thing from it for sure. Yeah, that's great. And the team must be appreciating that extra level of one-on-one -on -one engagement that, you know, not that we, and I've, I've, I've found the, the same um, to an extent where, you know, like I, I make a point each day at 1230, um, I jump on Zoom. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm on my own, you know, like... <laughs> Three or four days a week, I'm, I'm on my own. And it's in the company calendar as, as Steve's lunchtime can. Yeah. Um, and every now and again, someone will drop in and we'll have a chat. And we'll have a chat like quite literally over lunch. Um, yeah. And that's, that's just a, a, a nice replication of some of that interaction that we otherwise get in the studio when I'll be sitting, because we have a nice big communal lunch table um, at the studio and it's, it's nice when, you know, just a couple of people will sit down and have that chat. So that's been nice to replicate that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I felt like that was something that, um, we did really well early on. So in kind of March, April, May, that was quite a common thing would be at, you know, 10 AM, someone would just throw on a zoom link and say, yep. I'm going to have a coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think at that time we actually had a few new people starting in the business as well in, in our team. Um, and that felt like a really good way to have a conversation with people, get to know them, like doing the kind of virtual Friday drinks as well. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely find that. So the, the virtual Friday drinks, like we'll still do that every couple of weeks. Maybe it's okay. more like every three weeks. Yep. Coffee has definitely dropped off from the first few months of being really, really good about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that was, it's interesting because that was at a time whenever um, like I'm based in Melbourne. So that, that was at a time whenever we had our first lockdown and then we kind of got back to normal and it just felt like, Oh, we're, we're kind of on the way out of this. We're good we, now. Yep. We dropped the ball a little bit. Um, so maybe now that's something that we look at revisiting again. Um, yeah. We, we also did a, a couple of weeks ago, we did like a three day design offsite for the, for the product design team. Yep. So um, we did like five hours a day for three days um, with Zoom meetings, yeah. basically. Um, yeah. but, but we found that was really, really good way to kind of recharge the team and get everybody talking to each other. And obviously mm -hmm. you can't do that every month. Um, yeah. but, but we found it as a really kind of good reset, having maybe you know, lost some of that that we, that we get in the office every day. Yeah, nice. Now, um, in, your, in your presentation to UX Australia, you, your, your title is the accidental businessman, business person. Um, how, like, how do, is that playing out in your role within the company? Like, what's, what have you fallen into um, that's different for you? Um, I think I probably just 
really changed my idea of what it means to be a designer and I'm more specifically a product designer. In yeah. Design. Okay. Yep. Um, I think for me, the, the reason that I got into what I'm doing, like, like a lot of people, I very much stumbled into a career in, in UX design, mm -hmm. no, no formal training in design yep. and kind of getting into it because I liked technology and I really liked um, writing a bit of code and, and actually designing things and realizing that, oh, I can just design the thing. I don't actually have to code it as well. Like that's a job. And and then kind of, you know, graduating through that and going, oh, okay, actually the bit that I really like is dealing with problems and are we solving the right problems and talking to customers. Mm. But I guess a few years ago, my lens on that was very much like, that's what I did. Like I was the guy who was battling for the customer. Um, and while absolutely that's part of my role and part of my responsibility, it, it's kind of realizing that like, that is completely useless if you can't communicate with the people in your business and actually yeah. connect that to, to making money for your business, right? Because mm -hmm. ultimately, if your business isn't making money, then you don't exist to serve your customers. Yeah. So I think for me, it was really a change in terms of what, what value do I actually offer as a designer and how mm -hmm. do I actually position the work that I do and how do I connect it to what the company is doing? Yeah. So <clears throat> I think that was... Um, is a gradual process of of looking at what's happening internally also looking at who are the people that um are given the power by the company who are the people making the decisions yep and why are, why are those decisions being made yeah and it's kind of it's interesting when you start to to look at the background of those people and look at the kind of things that they're thinking about mm. um, it really makes me change my approach to the work that i'm doing and think about things in a slightly different manner yeah. so very much a gradual change I've found. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I always find fascinating looking at companies is um, who, their, who their heroes are, who their stars are. Um, you talk about, you know, um, being in a position to make money for the organisation. Um, and certainly, you know, like in, in some organisations and, and some that I've worked in, the, the sales team are the absolute heroes. If someone in sales wants something, they get it. Nobody else is allowed to argue or, or question. Um, doesn't matter how daft it might be, but you can't argue with salespeople because they're, they're, they're our breadbasket, right? Like, um, and I've, obviously in the technology space, that's more, um, and I've worked in web agencies as well, and the development team is more where the money comes from. And in ad agencies, it's the creative director. Um, and you can't argue with the creative director. Um, yeah. You know, like you can argue with other people, but the creative directors are, are basically, you know, one step below God and what they want, <laughs> they, they get. And that's, and that's how the company sees its success. Um, yeah. And it's, it's always interesting to be not one of those people. And I'm almost never one of those people. Um, <laughs> But to need to understand what their motivations are, why the company values them, um, and they often are, you know, are quite um, readily understood things like money, but, you know, like revenue uh, in the sense of sales, um, but also in terms of what's my role in helping them? So how can I help that person be successful if their success is how the company defines success? Um, and that's, that's, that's been a real journey for me over the years. Um, 
And I imagine navigating a place like where you are at the moment, and that's, I mean, you've, you've worked in other organisations as well, um, but navigating that sense of what's important, what are our priorities, um, and how do I support those people is always tricky. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you say that, like I can totally relate to that. And I, I think, you know, as soon as you start to talk about those things, I'm thinking, yeah, I know who the people, like I, I certainly have a mental model of who I think the people um, that are the most important in the organization are. And, and to be honest, that that changes as well. Yep. It's a big organization depending on what you're working on at a particular time. Mm. Um, I've also worked in startups before and where it's completely different ball game and it's whereas maybe in a larger organization it's a particular department i know working in a startup where it's like the ceo and everything is the ceo's vision yeah okay and you're executing on their vision and basically they're the one person that you know all of your work kind of has to has to go to mm-hmm. um, and, and certainly then working similarly in smaller kind of digital agencies where it's it's a little bit different i guess working mm. um working on a product as well we are continuously working on the same product with quite a large customer base Mm -hmm. Um, because then you start like our customers are obviously the the most important thing to us yeah but but it's a really interesting and diverse customer base that we have as well and trying Mm -hmm. to build a solution that makes you know 500,000 businesses across Australia New Zealand happy is yes challenging to do that as well so yeah and not only happy but actually functional I mean, your, your, your product sits at a pretty fundamental level for your customers. And, you know, if it's not working properly or it's not working, then there's an awful lot that stops happening inside those, com- those companies. Oh, like, absolutely. Like if somebody, if somebody can't pay their staff, for example, that's, yep. a, that's a pretty problematic thing. And things like, you know, the experience of going through something like customer support becomes, you know, we can do everything that we want in the product, but mm. if somebody can't pay their staff at the right time, that's, yep. a, that's a really, really important uh, moment. And it's a really damaging moment from our point of view as well. Yeah. And in a lot of, I mean, uh, certainly in some organizations, um, when staff get paid is actually part of their enterprise bargaining agreement it causes significant industrial relations problems if pay doesn't go through. Staff, you know, under those agreements tend not to be forgiving of management, which is how they see it when those things don't go through. And you can understand that, um, but everyone's going to come back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Why can't I do this? That's it. it. And and then there's even the, so obviously there's like the legal implications of of getting something wrong in the software. Yeah. Obviously we have very close relationships with organizations like the ATO. Yeah. And often, you know, the ATO are are learning things all the time as well. And they're kind of modernizing their processes Mm -hmm. and this bit of kind of back and forth between, between everybody really to try to, to try to build this new technology, which, which really before so yep. definitely a lot there's a lot at stake that's for sure yes. well look I mean, to um to use a a um a topical example um we've seen in the australian media at least um over the last 12 or 18 months a number of organizations get into real trouble because they've been underpaying their staff um and they've blamed that underpayment on the complexity of the industrial uh, relations and, and the award structures. But in most cases, that will come down to a failure of their systems. 
And the sort of organisations that we're talking about, um, I, I, if I understand correctly, they're using one of the payroll services. Um, and I, I, I won't use a name because I don't want to um, say the wrong one. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't believe it's been MYOB, though, in any of those cases. But in, in, in most of those cases, it seems to come down, or at least they're putting the blame on the technology that they were using for these multi-million dollar, um, you know, wage theft um, cases. Yeah. So, like, it, it has some really serious implications when it comes back to it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very tangible thing, and you're right. Like, every time, every time I've read one of those articles, I, I've seen the same thing as you have, and it's something that you look at, and it's, it's actually just so complex, and somebody misses a box on a page to check. Yep. Yep. And actually, you don't realize for 12 months and, you, you know, you've got 2,000 employees, that stuff adds up extremely quickly. Yeah, so yeah it, it does. does really, it does really. Sh- and, and also, these things are changing all the time. So in terms of, like, the, the legislation around pay, <laughs> I mean, I, yep. I kind of, I'm not super close to it because I haven't worked on it directly, but I've got a lot of colleagues who work on the New Zealand um, payroll side of things. Okay. I know that you... <laughs> Like that's a job in itself. New Zealand payroll is just unbelievably complex in terms mm. of the, the laws behind it. So yep. to try to build software to to be relatively simple whenever the, the actual legislation is so complex yes. is a really unique challenge. Yeah. And because we have, um, you know, we have a system in Australia whereby, so unlike in the US, we have a system in Australia where um, tax is taken out of each pay run. So every time I get paid, I need to take out the right amount of tax, which means it's the, the onus is on the business to get it right. Um, and yeah. if you do get it wrong, um, then as you say, like it, it actually becomes uh, a, a real problem very, very quickly um, for everybody. So it's also like, I, I find it, um, like coming back to that uh, question around, you know, the heroes in the organisation and where organisations... So, like, what we've just been talking about is where risk resides. Um, and, you know, in an organisation like yours, you need to ensure that the rules are correct. So, you yes, you need to understand that you're delivering a good experience, that the flows are there, that people are able to deliver on specific activities. You need to understand your customer base. Um, like that, that level of understanding, you mentioned 500,000 businesses. Um, you must have like a, a, a lovely research practice going on um, <laughs> that you get to draw on. Yeah, so absolutely. So we've got um, we've got a good mix of obviously we've got our researchers in our like actual design team. So we've got yep. like our, our product researchers. All of our designers are consistent. So we've got a, a relatively big design team who are all consistently talking to customers as well. And right, but we've got actually a research um, coordinator who's somebody that can actually help us reach out to our clients. So mm-hmm. while we've got a lot of um, clients, there's also a lot of times of the year where it's really hard to talk to people because they're so busy with, with doing particular things. So yeah. think about Bass every quarter, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also this, um, like the, the end of financial year is basically a no-go zone as well. Yeah. Uh, but we've also got a lot of experts throughout the business who are experts in small and medium business. So they're right. 
Um, yeah, okay. been using our software for 20 years. Um, they're actually still using the software and still have clients. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're the best unqualified accountants as well and qualified bookkeepers. Yeah. So sometimes those are the best people to go to, to just go and, you know, kind of say, Hey, we've got this issue. We really need your help. And while, you know, I can go and talk to hundred clients this year and, and mm -hmm. get lots of insights from them. I'm not the one at the end of the day who's responsible for doing those books. Like I, I yes. don't do that myself. Yes. And therefore I shouldn't be relying on, you know, I shouldn't be assuming that, Oh, I, I know the customer pretty well. I should be going and asking that expert um, yeah. to really to lend a hand. So I think, yes, we've got a, a really good mature research practice in terms of we don't, we don't release features without doing proper discovery and talking to customers. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we've got that help of the subject matter experts and the people who are doing this every day to, to yeah. really kind of make sure that we're not, while we know that um, we know our customers well and we know our yeah. software well, we don't want to be just making assumptions all the time. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a, a hugely beneficial approach to take. Um, and it's, it's, it's good to see that you've got that one sort of firmly embedded in your, in your design practice. Vinny, uh, that's what we have time for today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your journey um, when we see you in late August. Thank you very much for your time today and we, we really appreciate it. Yeah, great. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it, Steve. See ya. Thank you.